This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Face. It's the snow, man. Fucking Massachusetts. It's goddamn snow. <laughs> and taking a snow day? No, I'm at the office. <laughs> well, I mean, after the podcast, just call it a call it a snow day and go home. No. Maybe build a maybe build a snowman that turns into Michael Keaton. What is that a reference to? <laughs> if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to look it up either. No, there's not enough snow for that. There's enough snow to make every single step you take walking around a life-threatening <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> so I almost fell down like this five-story escalator last week. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> why is why, Where did you find a five-story escalator? They build Two. Them. they build them was, here. I don't know. Was it was it contiguous? Like like was it possible to like roll down yeah. the whole thing? It's not one of those where like you go down a floor and you have to turn around and go down the other way. No, no. Holy shit, that's an escalator. Yeah. Next time you're here, I gotta show you the escalators at Alewife and Porter Square. <laughs> that sounds great. Insane. <laughs> yeah, I stepped I was at Alewife and I had to park it like on the top floor. Because I drove into, I drove to the T and then took the T in to the office, and it was like rainy, and I stepped on the top step, and like my foot came right out from under me, and I was like <laughs> half awake too, because it's like it's like eight o'clock in the morning, so I'm like trying to grab the freaking escalator. Thing. <laughs> it's the worst. It's fucking terrifying. You still uh, not back at the gym yet? I went yesterday. Oh, okay. You? <laughs> you back at the gym yet? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, Gordon. Is that a no? That's a no. <laughs> so how's the weather there in San Francisco? Snowy? Not snowy. Cold. What's cold? Um, When I left this morning, it was 34 degrees. That's cold. Yeah, that's pretty cold. Some areas of the bay got snow. There was a somewhere in the East Bay got down to 16 the other night and a fountain froze. So the news just could not stop they just showing talked the about picture that. of this damn frozen fountain. <laughs> that reminds me of back home in Texas when it's just like people freak out about you know like Houston like I don't I think they got snow this year too, but a few years ago they got like a quarter of an inch and the entire city shut down. It's just like, it's just like mayhem. Just don't know what to do with that much moisture. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, in Houston, they, they do, but whatever. Microclimates. Let's talk about microclimates for 30 minutes. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> San Francisco is full of them. Neighborhood by neighborhood. That That's probably good because in my notes here, I only have, I have one word for the show. It just says, NS bite count formatter? <laughs> question mark. Yes. Is it a question mark? Okay. Because so I wasn't sure if I could fill. I, I can't. Well, we could start there. I don't know what that thing is. Is it just a cool class that does a formatter? Yeah. You just give it a cookie and it tells you how many bites it will take to consume it. 
You give it a what? No, I'm just kidding. You give it a file size <laughs> okay. in bytes, and it formats it into like a, a localized human-readable string. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't think there's a half hour of content there. No, I think I just <laughs> finished it. Just wrapped it up. All right, good show. <laughs> so you can tell me if I'm crazy. I'm starting this new project, and uh, there's a second developer coming on on Monday, Tony, who we work with. Um, is coming on to the project on Monday, but I wanted a week or a few days at least to kind of get some of the menial stuff set up, you know, the product, get the project set up, move, you know, move the repo around, do all that stuff that I haven't figured out how to get automated. One of the things I'm trying to do is I have a theory that this will help. So I want to use storyboards on this project, both as a, just an experience, experiment in using storyboards like the model modern storyboard with the modern storyboard file format and all that stuff. But I also have this theory that this is going to work better. I'm trying to, so one, one of my concerns with storyboards is always that working with multiple developers on a single storyboard, um, running into conflicts, right? Uh, on my last project, we started off with storyboards and then quickly, there were like three or four people on the project and we quickly just backed off and moved everything into individual nibs because it just turned out to be too big of a hassle. So my theory here is that if I just take like a day and map out this entire app, like all the view controllers, because it's a pretty, we're pretty set on what this app, how, like what screens this app is going to have and that kind of stuff. I have this theory that if I lay this all out now before the second developer comes on, I, I think that we'll both be able to work on this because we'd be working in the same file, but it'd be different portions of the same file. And as long as like all the problems with storyboards that I've had with conflicts have come from, you know, you adding like both of us adding a screen at the same time or one of us adding a screen and the other one modifying a screen. And so the diffs get weird, you know, does it sound crazy to you? No, no, that that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, on my current project, I've been splitting up storyboards. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that too. Like I have a logged out and a logged in storyboard, so like one for the, you know, login registration and one for the logged in portion. But even that, I'm looking at it now, and I'm gonna break it up into probably, probably three storyboards. So I I've been using them for like chains of view controllers that are attached with segways. I imagine that this app is small enough where you could actually lay out the entire thing in one storyboard, but you're still going to break it up. Where, where are you going to draw the the lines between the storyboards? I want to. So I'm I'm keeping the logged out stuff as its own storyboard. That's just for a mental break, right? Like I think that's easy enough, you know, to say to just load the initial view controller for the logged out storyboard versus the logged in sto storyboard. Right. And then the other thing is that this app is going to have a basement menu structure to it. So the basement menu is only going to have basically four top level items. Um, and so I think each one of those is going to end up being its own storyboard because then I can just instantiate the root view, the initial view controller for the storyboard and pass it into the menu controller as the content view. Right. Wait, so the menu the menu controller becomes your root view controller? 
Yes. Yeah. As long as as long as you're logged in. Otherwise, it'll be the logged in logged out storyboards view can root view controller. And that and that flow does not have a basement menu. No, it does not. No, that's a standalone. That's a standalone thing. So if you're not logged in, I'll instantiate. I'll load that and I'll plug that into place as the root view controller. If you are logged in, I will create the menu view controller and instantiate, you know, the main flow, the main storyboard flow, and plug that into the menu view controller. So what does your pod file look like? What are your dependencies? What are we using here? Anything cool? Right now, I just have Specta, Expecta, and OCMock. Just wanted to get the testing step up and running. Um, I'm planning on using, there's going to be a very, very, very simple core data store. So I'm planning on using Magical Record and Mo Generator. And then for the basement menu, I'm going to use the IA menu controller again. And I think that's it for right now. Uh, those are the only ones that I've thought about. I haven't thought about it. I haven't gone too far in the dependency stuff to think about it too much. Are you, are you planning to do integration testing? Do you have time? Oh, yeah. So I'm planning on using KIF 2.0 for that. The only issue with that is that I do not want to use OC unit for all of my tests. And I also don't want to have to use bare... OC unit style testing for my acceptance tests. I want to use Specta for everything. And so, but the problem there is that KIF still uses OC unit. So in order to use Specta for KIF, I have to plug in, um, I have to use a previous version, 1.11 or something like that of Specta, 0.1.11 of specta but because that's for oc unit but i want to use xc test for my normal tests so i'd rather use so the the problem i ran into is that i can't you one thing you can't do with cocopods is i can't say so there's a exclusive flag you can use on a target that basically says only link these frameworks don't link anything else in and it's in order to avoid having duplicate frameworks, right? Because if you link a framework into your test bundle and into the main bundle, like the host, and then it injects the test bundle into the application, the host application, you end up with the same framework twice. And so you have duplicate definitions and wacky stuff can happen. It doesn't always result in an error. What it results in is like weird behavior. Stuff isn't defined or is defined incorrectly weird so you so you want to use that exclusive flag on your testing bundles and what's nice about that is that it means that it isolates those frameworks from all the other frameworks as well right but so what i tried to do initially was say okay for the unit testing bundle link specta 0.2.1 and for the acceptance testing bundle link specta 0.1.11 i think but CocoaPods does not like that at all. Even though it's two different two different bundles, it still tries to figure out the dependencies across there and only wants to bring in one version of Specta, which is kind of a limitation of CocoaPods, I think. But also, I'm trying to do... Like, ultimately, I think the blame lies with KIF there, right? That KIF, KIF should be supporting XC test at this point. Um, I shouldn't have to do these workarounds... 
I shouldn't have to try to do these workarounds in order to get Kiff running. So all that being said that like um, Tony, who's starting on this project next week, he doesn't have anything to work on right now. So I was like, I just kind of handed him Kiff and was like, make this XC test. <laughs> and, so, and, and how's that going? Ah, it's going really well. I think he's got it. He's got it so that it works on XC test. Uh, he is just, I asked him to, um, I want to submit it or I want him to submit it back upstream to, to the, the official repo. Right. I think it would be good for him to have that up there and it'd be good for the community to have a choice. Right. Specta. I was tangentially involved in the conversation around Specta moving to XC test and kind of what everybody agreed on with Specta is just saying like ditch OC unit. It's the old, you know, it's old. There's no point in supporting it going forward. If you need OC unit, you can use the old version, but Kiwi is still using Kiwi has both Kiwi has support for both still. And so so I, I I asked him to before some opening a pull request. I asked him to build in support for both um, OC unit and XC test, so that you'd have like a subspec that you could pull in for XC test. Okay, that makes sense. So he's been so he's been working on that, and so hopefully, like I kind of punted on pulling those dependencies in explicitly, like they're in the pod file, but I commented them out. So hopefully, you know, I didn't want to spend the time doing it. I didn't want to spend that, com- you know, client time working on that but it seemed important it seemed like good work so so he's doing that um so hopefully i'll be able to use kiff yeah like even if the pull request doesn't take we'll just link to our own fork of it and whatever so you're working in a fork of the new kiff right kiff next or there, there's only one kiff there's only one kiff now oh so the one on the square org is gone they moved that square slash kiff moved to kiff dash framework slash kiff so there is no that's the only kiff repo and i think b nickel deleted his branch or at least is redirecting people to the official kiff dash framework repo so there, there there's less confusion now in that there's only there's really only one kiff out there got it yeah wasn't clear on that. So other than that, so yeah, I'm I'm like there's a few experiments I'm going to be doing in this project which is going to be cool, I think. Most of them are small, you know, the magical record stuff is going to be easy, the mo generator stuff is going to be simple. Those aren't huge experiments and like, you know, we're not using we're not going to be using uh core data the way you're using core data. We're going to literally have like one entity in our core data stack and it's going to have you know, a handful of items in it that you, you, you add yourself. So it's only for stuff. We're basically using it for offline support. You know, we want to make sure that these objects are available offline because you could potentially need these objects in spotty internet right. locations. Is, is this app seven only? Yep. Seven only. So you're going to do like background fetching. Um, we're I think we're going to end up using silent push notifications. I don't think we're, we were, we're looking at using background fetching, but it didn't really work for what we're looking at doing. So I think we're going to end up using a silent push notification that triggers basically an API call. Are those easier to set up than push notifications or are they basically the same? I think they're exactly the same. The only thing I've, I've only looked into them 
briefly, and there's not a whole lot of information out there. The only thing I'm not sure about is if you have to register the same way. Like, I really don't know. Because when you register for notifications, you have to say, uh, I need sounds, badges, and flat sounds, badges, and, and alerts, right? But I don't need those. And I don't want to register for those if I don't need those. So I'm not sure how the registration process differs with silent push notifications versus normal ones. Like, I, I'm not even convinced that the user has to grant access to push notifications. I'd assume they do, but when you're granting access to push notifications, isn't that essentially just saying, like, yes, you can bother me, and I don't need to bother them? I don't know. Yeah, that, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think from a consistency point of view, it makes sense for the user to have to grant permission for that, but it's just weird that they are going to grant permission for kind of something that we're not ever going to do. I'm looking at an article here. It looks like you do register in the same way, even though it's silent. And you just register for everything and then you just don't use those. That's probably what I'm going to end up doing. I'll probably just register for everything because I think in like version two or something, they might want to use that kind of stuff. Like once the push notification infrastructure is there, I know that they have like future plans for stuff to do with it. And we don't need it now, but it, it, like having that built into the app from the beginning, especially if it's if it's you know it's low overhead, right? So for right now, I think we'll probably just register for everything and then just not use them. And then yeah, from that point, it's the exact same on the client side as it is for normal push notifications. You just register for the push notification and do something when it comes in. So in this case, we'll just you know basically trigger an API call, right? For, for the listeners, there's a new um, UI application delegate method in 7.0 called application did receive remote notification fetch completion handler. Um, that when you receive that, that's your chance to kick off whatever you need to do. And when you're done, um, you call that handler that was given to you and return one of the new UI background fetch result types. And it's either new data, no data or failed. I think that's how the system decides what to do after that. Looks like that's all you have to do in term. In terms of what? I'm assuming if you do failed, it may, I don't know, let you try again. They already have their own server set up, right? So they're going to they're gonna be able to do the silent push notifications themselves. Do any of like the major services support this yet? Because it looks really simple. You just, the payload is just one key. It's just content available one. Yeah. And well, yeah, from what I've seen in my, in like kind of research around the edges of this, it looks like there's actually a bug. And I hope this isn't the actually the case, but but everything I, I've seen that there's a bug where if you just send send that it's like content available, right? Like it's a content available key, and you can even send it as an empty content available key, right? So normally you would send you could send something under the content available key inside the push notification, and then you'd pull that out in the client and do something with it. But if it's just acting like a trigger, like the way we're trying to use it, like you could just send. It's essentially an empty JSON package, right? Where it just says content available, nothing. And <laughs> the push notification hits and then we just do our own thing. Um, but I've seen a, I, I've seen that there's a bug where if you do that, it, nothing happens. Like it doesn't actually register for the, uh, it doesn't actually receive the push notification. So you have to do some kind of, um, basically if you add like a sound key, but then just don't fill that in either, then it'll work. So you're saying you can just send the content available key, no value. Uh, no, no, no. Content available key, 
like content available equals empty string. Oh, I see. Okay, but if you just send that key, there's some bug where it won't get delivered. Like you need a second key in there, like sound. That's that's my understanding, yeah, is that if you just send the content available key with an empty string, which should work, it never actually triggers the push notification. But if you send it with like content available equals empty string and sound equals empty string, then the push notification works. Gotcha. I found, I think I found the Stack Overflow question that you're referring to. Put it in the show notes. So it's not that they removed the the old did receive remote notification. No, it looks like they just added a, a variant. I'm also, I, I don't think I'm going to use, um, uh, I have one in here now. I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm going to use uh, table views at all. Oh, really? You're going to try collection view for everything? Yeah. Um, even the table view-esque stuff. Some places it makes sense, right? Big chunky cells with like a 10 point divider between them or margin between them. Just that every, I see that and I'm just like, that is a UI collection view, not a UI table view. You know, it's just so much easier to do that in a UI collection view. Um, like I can do that inside interface builder just by screwing with the, the flow controller. With collection views, you have to handle all of your own selection though, right? Like, do you get the highlighting? on selection with collection views that you do with table views? I uh, don't know. I don't think you do. I think the default, like, it'll handle the touches and everything, but I don't think you get that, like, modification of the the cell. Because since a collection view can basically be anything, what would that be? Like, how do you come up with one selection style? I mean, is it selected and highlighted for collection view cell? I don't know. Find out. I feel like it does do selection for you. Like the highlighting, that's what you're talking about? Yeah. I feel like it does, but I could be totally wrong about that. But there's a selected background view. Right. That's what I meant is that you probably have to configure it. You know, you're not going to get like a gray overlay or anything for free. Yeah. Is there API already in place? Uh, no. Um, they have a back end in place, but I have to have a call with their guy about the API. We're not doing the back end for them. It's someone else. Okay. They're doing it in-house, basically. But you're already starting, and it's not done? Um, I'm not. I'm actually not sure what the state of the API is right now. I know I have a call that is in the process of being scheduled with him to kind of map out what we're looking for from the API standpoint, which is kind of nice, you know what I mean, to be able to just say, like, okay, looking at these screens – here are the objects that I would want to create based on that. And here's kind of what the, the endpoints that I feel like I should want, I will want to hit. And they just kind of build them out from there. Yeah, that is nice. We kind of had a similar luxury on my project. They were built at the same time. It was a good thing and a bad thing. We ended up uh, being blocked quite a bit waiting for API. Or even if it was done, like there were bugs in it. You know, just shake it out. Held us up. So the other thing... Um... The other thing that's actually nice about laying out the storyboards like this, like super early, just mapping out the entire app. Like I'm, I'm, you know, most, some of them, some of the views are relatively high fidelity. You know what I mean? Like, uh, some of the form views are essentially done. They just need to be styled. You know what I mean? Like I laid out the text fields and even set up auto layout for them the way that it should work. If there's buttons that are like supposed to hug the bottom, like, there's most of the views that have that kind of thing going on, have that button that's going to hug the bottom. So like there's a lot of the auto layout stuff that's already done. 
So some of them are really high fidelity and others literally just say like this view, <laughs> right? Like just say what the view is supposed to be. And maybe they have like a scroll view or a view in them, but they don't, they're like super low fidelity. But the nice thing is like, I'm doing it all in one. Like I said, like it's all in one view controller right now or one storyboard right now, even though it's probably, I'm going to end up breaking it up into multiple. But what's nice is having a high level, especially at this early stage on this client project where they're willing to have conversations about this kind of stuff ever high level where I'm like already kind of like, Oh, like it's challenging some of the assumptions that I was making about the flow of the app. You know what I mean? Like I'm going, wait a minute, this is weird. How am I going to click this button and then jump all the way back over to this thing? You know, what's that, what's that transition going to look like? And it's already in a modal. So like, I can't bring up another modal on top of that. That's weird. So am I going to like dismiss the modal and jump back to the root view controller? And it's just going to be there. Like, it's just nice to think about this now, as opposed to if, you know, we had just started building this out screen by screen, getting to this point and just being like, Oh crap, you know, three, four weeks into the project on a relatively short deadline. I always feel better having that kind of planning done before you start on something it seems like too often in our work, it's just like we come in as hitmen. It's like, here, do this without understanding how it fits into the larger application. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, to be, f to be fair, like I looked at the, the screens, right. And I didn't, nothing jumped out at me as being like, it all made sense because it, it's a logical progression. But then when you actually m map them out and you start hooking them up is just like one specific thing where it's just kind of like, Oh, you know, I go through this and then this modal pops up and then I go into a next screen and now it needs to link to another thing that feels like a whole different thing. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like it should just be a push. It feels like it needs, we we're getting out of that modal to some extent, you know what I mean? So should it like drop the modal and then the, you know, the screen that it's, we're jumping to is there. I think it should probably be like that. It's just kind of, it's just, it's just a little, it's just a little weird. And it's nice to have that, the realization that it's weird now so that I can start the conversation about like, what exactly do you want to do with this? I, I would say if you're moving things around, I would always let the user see what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like drop the modal, then wait and do your pop navigation or like an unwind segue or something. If you have to go back. It makes it sounds crazy, but it makes the app feel more solid. It helps users to understand where they came from and where they're going back to. When you switch views out from under a modal, it's always confusing, except for in a few rare cases. Like one I can think of is like if you're guarding some setting with a passcode and you put in the passcode, and then when the passcode's gone, you don't want to waste the time pushing over. Like the user's already had the intent to go into the settings view. You're just kind of like authenticating them so to speak, like th then I think it's fine to switch them out. But in, in your case, it sounds like you're going back in the flow. Kind of like it, it, it basically has two options as it stands. It has two options, right? One is essentially dismiss the modal and pop back to the, to the, the bottom of the navigation stack, which is fine. Like, I think if you dismiss it at that point, you're basically only going back one step. So it goes, so the, the way the flow goes is you go into the, like the root would be basically the master, the list view, and then detail, click a button on detail. And now you're in a modal. You basically then confirm your choice from there. You get to like a thank you screen 
right? So we're we're one step over in the navigation stack, then up in a modal and one more step over. Got it. And you need to get back to the beginning. So I can dismiss that whole that whole modal, but then I'd be back at the detail. So it makes sense to be able to dismiss them, like dismissing the modal and then being back at the list, the main list makes sense to me. Yeah. I think it's one of those cases where I'd have to just play with it. It's 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 hard to say. Yeah. But that's that that to me isn't isn't bad. There's this other I mean it's not even bad, right? But there's this other there's another button that basically would dismiss it have to dismiss and go into a different kind of navigational structure and grab like a different detail view. You know what I mean? You jump to I, I can't without getting too much into the app structure which I really can't do. It's it's hard to explain, but it's it's like a different it this is like it would be another view another uh, under what i've been saying before about like how i'm planning on breaking up these storyboards it'd be like the second level in a different storyboard okay jumping to that so again like you're talking about wanting to keep the context which i totally want to do it poses kind of a and it it makes sense from a like usability standpoint to want to jump to this thing totally makes sense i'm just not sure how to show that without losing context and it's kind of hypothetical you know what i mean i'm trying it's a very it's a problem that's very specific to this application that honestly may not even translate that well you know it's not a generalized problem it's going to be pretty specific to what we're trying to do Hmm. well maybe you'll get down and dirty with view uh view controller transitions yeah maybe if there's time are you generally getting away with stock ui here or? uh stock ish um nothing's too crazy tinted navigation bar but like an opaque tinted navigation bar so that's going to be simple you know custom buttons but it's just a background that's not super interesting one kind of i don't know almost like an incrementer view you know what i mean so it'd be like the width of the phone you have a plus button on the right a minus button on the left a label in the middle that has to increment increment you know uh the the label based on whatever is it possible to customize ui stepper for that or is that way too far off of what ui stepper does possibly i hadn't even thought about that yeah because i think everywhere the the plus minus buttons are joined they're in one control so you probably wouldn't be able to put the number in the middle yeah i'd have to look into it starting new projects is great yep yeah i'd have to look into ui stepper i I was i was probably just going to build a basically a, a ui view subclass that had two buttons you know yep show notes for this episode are going to be available at podcasts.fotbot.com slash build phase slash 20 if you have any questions or comments about the show email us at build phase at thoughtbot.com or contact us on twitter or app.net at build phase also ratings and reviews on itunes really help us out a lot so if you could leave those over on the itunes store that'd be great the show was edited by Igor Stolarski, recorded and produced by Mike Manor.